Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. So today, we are beginning a new series and uh, I'm excited to dive into the series. We've been looking at a few different things this summer, but today we're beginning a new series in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark through a particular lens. And I love that we're going to spend several weeks just opening up the Scriptures and diving into the life of Jesus. And so we're going to look at the first half of the book of Mark for most of the fall. But that lens that I want us to look through is the lens of discipleship. Now, you might have heard that word, and, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 I'm familiar with that. But do we really know what that means? Like, that is such a, a buzzword on the one hand, but then a word that is so loaded on the other. And so when we talk about discipleship, what are, what are we talking about? I, I love this quote from Dallas Willard. Um, he's been so helpful to me, and, and I really like reading his stuff. He's, he's a, a theologian uh, who passed away a number of years ago, but really written about spiritual formation. And he describes discipleship this way. It's the intentional process of becoming like Jesus. It's being with him to learn from him how to live like him if he were me. Now notice, in the intentional process, like it's a choice and it's, and it's a kind of carved out sort of thing. It's intentional. And it's becoming like Jesus. And he describes it this way. It's like being with him, like we're spending time with Jesus to learn from him. He's a teacher. So we're learning from him how to be like him, how to live life like him as if he were in our shoes. So like you imagine like Jesus walking around in your life, in your shoes, what would he do? What would that look like? That is discipleship. It's learning to be like Jesus. And that's where we get our tagline. We're spending time with Jesus. We're being with Jesus to become like him. And that's what we want this series to do. We want this series to be about spending time with Jesus to become like him. But I have a claim that I want to make. I think us as a church and the wider North American church, we are in a discipleship deficiency. We, we are lacking in discipleship. And I think this is true broadly. Like, this is not something just unique to us. I think this is true for a number of churches in North America. We're not actually discipling under Jesus. And I want to actually illustrate this with you. Like, I've got the whiteboard, and I want to draw something that will hopefully help you see how and why this is true. So if we are in a discipleship deficiency, where is that coming from? Like, what's that all about? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw a triangle here, and I want to show you what this is kind of looking like. So as you learn to follow Jesus, you know, you're, you're, you're walking through life, you're, you're, you're learning about him. I, I think there's a few components that are, are usually present when we, when we disciple to Jesus. We learn about the word, like the scriptures, we learn about his teachings, like what did Jesus tell us? What was it that he showed us about himself, and like, what do we need to know about him? And so I think, like, that's a component, right? We need to know the scriptures. We need to know about him. We need to know what he's all about. What did he teach? And this, right here, is the realm of knowledge. It's your head, right? Tracking with me so far? Like, this is the word. Like, words, knowledge, yeah, I got that. So we want to know the right things, but we also want to do the right things. 
And this is where we do things like Jesus, right? Like, what, how did he tell us to live? What was it that he said, like, you should do this and not this? Like, and we do that. So we learn what did he teach, and then we go try and do it. We want to be like Jesus. We want to do the things that he did, right? So if this is the realm of knowledge, this is the realm of doing, of behavior, right? I want to contend that we often picture discipleship living here. If we know the right stuff, then we should be able to do the right stuff. But I'm curious, do you have some of these things where you know the right thing, but you don't always do the right thing? I mean, you've been taught, okay, don't lie. Okay, don't lie. I can do that. Okay. And then I lie. Shoot. Okay, why did I lie? You know, and like, sometimes there's a disconnect, right? And I think a lot of times it's because we, we're, we know the stuff, and then we go try and do it on our own. I want to say that most of discipleship that you probably have experienced has lived here. This is what it was for me. When I, I grew up in the church, and I grew up knowing a lot of stuff, I went to Sunday school, and I was a part of Bible studies, and, and really, like it was, okay, here's what you need to know, now go do it. But it often didn't really translate to looking like Jesus. Again, remember our def definition of discipleship. It's Jesus living in our shoes. Like, what is he like if he were living my life? And there looks like a big gap, right? I think it's because you can't just know the right things and then try to do it. There's a missing component. And I want to suggest it's this. It's the way of Jesus. A lot of times we know the right things and we try to do the right things, but we've missed the way of Jesus. How is he? What is he like? How does he carry himself? If this is the realm of knowledge, this is the realm of behavior, this is the realm of the heart. And this, I want to suggest, is what we miss. A lot of times we are neglecting the realm of the heart, the being side of discipleship. We know the right stuff. We even try to do the right stuff. But we're not like Jesus. And you can probably imagine it. Like you, you maybe have met that person who, man, they are super smart. They know everything there is to know about the Bible. They can quote it to you. They can tell you all the right things. They know their theology. They know the right stuff. And man, they even know what they're supposed to do, and they might even do it. Like, man, they, they've got an exemplary life. Like, they're, they're following all that Jesus taught. Like, they're doing it. But yet, there's something amiss. Like, it's not quite right. You just sense that just, they're not quite like Jesus because we can do all this in pride. And I wonder if that's what you see. I wonder if you see that person who knows all the right stuff and does all the right stuff, but there's a pridefulness. There's an arrogance. Like, they're better than everybody else, and that doesn't feel like Jesus. It's because we're trying to live up here. But I want to suggest we need to be moving down here. Because everything up here is the surface. It's the things you can see. It's the external. But Jesus wants to move here so that we can move here. I think what we're to do in discipleship is to cultivate the heart. 
to allow us to be transformed at the realm of our motivations and our desires. I think we need to be practicing the way of Jesus. If you've been in part of church, you've been discipled in some way, whether it was intentional or not, but I want to contend it's mostly lived up here. And we want to incorporate this. That is why we are doing this series. We want to spend time with Jesus in the Gospels, particularly in Mark, to learn from him how to be like him. We want to see how is he? What's his way? How is, what's the manner in which he carries himself? And how does that live here at the realm of the heart? That's why we're doing this series. We want to go after that intentionally. And so what we're going to do through this first half of the book of Mark, we're going to look through this discipleship lens. How did Jesus train his disciples in his way? How were they transformed at their heart level? That's what we're going to be going after. And my hope, my goal as our pastor, is that we are going to, as a church, embody the foundation that we're building. The time that we spend in the scriptures looking at Mark, I'm hoping that we're going to take that and we're going to build. We're going to invest in the life of our church, how we do things in such a way that we are being discipled in the way of Jesus. It's going to take time to do that. Just know that. But what we're doing is we're laying foundation right now for what God wants to do soon. And we want to become disciples, learners, people who walk like Jesus did. We want, to, we want to get at the heart. So that's why we're doing this series. So I'm going to leave this up. I'm going to reference it a couple more times in this message, but um, be chewing on this lens. This is a lens to help us see what is God trying to show me about moving down here at the realm of the heart, about his way. Now, one of the key things that we need to understand is what is the heart of what Jesus wants to show us? And you probably actually know the answer to that. If you've been a part of church, you probably know it's the gospel, right? It's the gospel. But what is the gospel, right? We could probably say a few things like, oh, here's parts of the gospel. Well, I'm curious, what did Jesus say the gospel was? Did you know that he told us? I invite you, if you would, turn to the book of Mark, chapter 1. We are going to see the gospel according to Jesus. What did he say the gospel is? So um, if you're getting used to your Bible, the New Testament begins with the four gospels. Matthew and Mark is the second one. So turn to Mark. We're going to look at uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 15. The words will be up on the screen if you'd like to follow along there. So I'm going to read through the whole chunk here, and then we're going to kind of walk back through using a framework that you'll see in just a minute. So Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, 
confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and the leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one who is more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I will baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the word of the Lord. So here we see Jesus is emerging on the scene. And when he speaks, he gives us the good news. And here it is at the end in verse 15. The time has come. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Here is the summary of the gospel from Jesus' own lips. So what I want to do is I want to actually use what he says and kind of break it down throughout the sermon using it as a framework to look at what else is happening in this text. So to begin with, let's look at this first phrase, the time has come. So when, when Jesus says this, when Mark's writing it down, the word he uses is the word kairos. It's the Greek word kairos. You probably know the word chronos, which is where we get chronology. And what that means is more like sequence of events, like this happens, then this happens. That, that's chronology. But that's not the word he uses. He uses the word kairos, which is more like this is the moment we've been waiting for. It's a significant moment. One that's like pregnant with meaning and possibility. Like, here is this special moment. The moment has arrived. The time has come. It's like if you're a little kid, your birthday party has started. Like, here it is. Like, this is it. The time has come. That's the word that's being used here, kairos. And so what's the significance? Like, what if this time's here, like, what, what has come or what's arrived here? Well, Mark tells us by what comes in verses 1, 2, and 3. See, he begins the whole gospel by saying the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, the phrase good news, this is where we get the the word gospel. It's also where we get the word evangelize, like you share and that kind of thing. It's the same word. And what that word meant back then was a little bit different than maybe what we have in mind. Because like we quickly run to gospel and Christianity and things like that. But what they had in mind, they would have pictured a messenger who's riding into town. And he's like, I've got good news. That's what they're thinking of. That messenger probably would have been bringing like a message from the battlefield. Like, hey, we've won. There's been victory. Like, all good news. Like that kind of good news. Or maybe it's like, hey, I've got good news. The king is on his way. He's coming into town. Like, he comes as a herald, 
as a messenger, someone who's saying, like, I've got good news. And it often sparks great rejoicing. Like, hooray, celebration, like, good news. This is what they would have imagined. This is what they would have thought of. And that's actually exactly what Mark portrays next. You see, when when he says, like, I've got good news about Jesus the Messiah, let me show you. Here's the messenger. So if you jump down to verse 2, what happens? He's quoting from Isaiah and Malachi, and he tells us, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. It's that messenger on a horse riding, I've got good news. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. See, he's announcing there's someone coming. The Lord is coming. And that's exactly what Mark portrays John the Baptist as doing. He is this herald, the one who's writing, I've got good news. Get ready. The king is on his way. The Lord is on his way. Like, be ready. This is the good news that he's talking about. And so, like, this is what Mark is showing us. Like, good news, there's someone coming. And he specifically names it. It's Jesus, the Messiah. But if we come back to this idea of of time, like the time has come, like who's who's here, like what's happening? What's the significance of this time? Well, I want to go back and and look at our phrases in in verse 15. So he says, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God has come near. This is a significant time. Why? Because the kingdom is near. Now, when we, when we look at this, what do we think of? Again, if you've gone to church for a long time, you probably have some images that come to your mind, but like the kingdom of God, what I most associate that with is like heaven, right? Oh, it's like heaven. It's, it's, it's when we die, we get to go to heaven or the, God's kingdom. Like, yeah, that's, that's, that's what it is. Actually, it's better than that. The kingdom of God is, is this place where God's way is the way of things. And that can be anywhere. You see, the kingdom is about a king who rules. And it's where his rule is, there his kingdom is. And that's what we see here. Like what, what Mark is pointing us to, what Jesus is going to demonstrate in his life, is that the kingdom is here and it's breaking in. My way of things is now the way of things around you. I'm getting my way, how I lead, how I'm calling you to to operate. Like, that is the way of things. The kingdom is near. This is what Mark is pointing to. This is what Jesus is saying. Like, the kingdom of of God is at hand. It's, It's here. God's way is breaking in. And where there's a kingdom, there's a king. And I believe that's what Mark does next. So I invite you to jump down to verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And then see what Mark says next in verses 10 and 11. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased." What we see is this picture of Jesus is baptized, he comes out of the water, and something miraculous is happening. 
The heavens are torn open. The sky is like ripped apart. And, and here comes the Spirit, like a dove, like coming down to rest on Jesus. That image right there is actually an Old Testament one. It's the image of anointing. This was a ceremonial kind of thing. Like someone who's anointed is being set apart for a special purpose or task. This descending, this anointing is what you do to the king. The king of Israel would be anointed as he steps into his kingship and onto the throne. That's what's happening here. The, the spirit is coming as an anointing. And even the language that we get, that we hear from the Father, from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And, and I think like, okay, yeah, the son of God, he's the second person of the Trinity, like he's divine, and, and that is certainly true, but the language is borrowed from the Old Testament. The language of being a son who is loved was described of King David. And his, the kings that would follow him, like, when you hear this language, they're immediately thinking, like, we're thinking kingly language. We're thinking about the king, the one who is ruling Israel, like, he is God's son. Like, he is in that position where he is favored. And so the original readers, they're hearing the descending of the spirit, anointing, the son, like, this is a coronation. You see, Jesus' baptism was not like ours. He didn't need to be forgiven of sins. It's not a ceremonial, like, forgiveness kind of thing. Like, no, this was inauguration. This was a coronation. This was to say, like, Jesus, you're starting this ministry that I put before you. Jesus is the king. And that's what Mark is showing us. So right out of the gates, he tells us the Messiah, the anointed one, is Savior, this is Jesus, and he's also king. So Jesus is savior and king. This is what the kingdom means. And this is the good news. You see, Jesus is the king who's come, and he's the one who's bringing God's reign, God's way of things into the world. Amidst all the brokenness, all that's wrong, Jesus is stepping in saying, no, 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 this is how I want things to be. And he comes as king with authority to say, now it's going to be like this. And this is good news. It's restoring the world to the way that it's supposed to be. It's putting things back in right order, clicking things back into place, like no more brokenness, but restoration. That is what he is announcing. This is the good news. God is king Jesus is God incarnate. He's come in a human body. He's like us. He's king. He's savior. And he's bringing restoration. This is the good news. The king is here. He's at hand. He's close. So what do we do with that? Like if he is king, if the kingdom is at hand, then what does that mean? Like, what are we to do with that? Well, this brings us to our third phrase in verse 15. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. Like, what you've been waiting for has finally arrived. It's here. The kingdom is near, which means the king is coming. John is heralded like, the king is on his way. He's coming. He's coming. And here he is. He shows up. 
at his baptism. He's anointed and said, now you are king, you are leading. Take your kingdom and run. And what we see after that is Jesus, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days. Does that ring a bell to anything if you know your Bible? What else do we hear about people in the wilderness for a period of 40? It's Israel, right? They wandered for 40 years. This was a time of testing, and they failed. They didn't trust God. They didn't do things his way. Well, what Jesus does is he steps into those shoes 40 days. He's tempted by Satan, but he succeeds. He is the true king. This is what Mark is doing. He's setting up to say, like, here's our king. And so what does our king call us to do? He calls us to repent and believe the good news. Now, you probably recognize these words. I mean, even if you didn't grow up in church, you've seen on some billboard or some sign, repent. So what do these words mean? Well, let's tackle that first one first. Repent. I don't know about you. When I think of the word repent, I, I hear this language of like, oh, I got to feel really bad about myself. Like, I did something wrong, and now like, I have to grovel in like, this kind of downward sort of thing. Like, is that kind of what you think of? I think that's kind of the popular idea out there. Actually, the word repent is so much better than that. Literally, it means turning around. That's, that's what repent is. Like repent is you're walking some way. It's like, no, 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 I shouldn't go this way anymore. And I'm going to go this way now. It's turning around. I, I think a lot of times when we hear this word, we think of this, like, I got to feel bad about myself kind of feeling. Like, I did something wrong, I violated what I'm supposed to do, and now I have to feel bad. I have to be remorseful. And that is what makes God happy. That is not what repentance is. And it's such a shallow view of what repentance actually is. What Jesus is calling to is more than that. He's calling to this turning around. Because I think when we operate in that shallow version of it, when we just feel bad, what we're doing is actually operating out of fear. I'm supposed to do something, and I don't do it, and I'm afraid of the consequences. I'm afraid of being punished. Like, I'm afraid to go to hell, so repent, right? That is not what Jesus is talking about. Because that's just operating in fear. That's operating in shame. You see, what, what you're supposed to do is, like, oh, I feel really bad about myself, and I feel bad about myself. And I'm wrong, and I'm not worth it, so I need to repent. Like, I need to feel bad. And it's operating in that fear. It's operating in that shame. It's operating in guilt. And that's actually not what Jesus is calling us to here. Because all those things are inherently self-centered. It's about me. It's like, I just need to avoid hell. Like, I need to kind of, like, turn from this so, like, I don't suffer. It's, it's just self focus. I think what Jesus is calling us to is not like, okay, you're walking one way, and I want you to realize that's not the way you should go, and turn and go a different direction. It's not just simply feeling bad, because like if I just feel bad, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm stopping, and now I'm going to keep going this way. No, 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 no. I want you to turn and go a different way. Like, that is what true repentance is. And it's not out of fear. It's not out of shame. It's not out of guilt. It's actually out of love. This is what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to operate in his way. And it's not fear. It's not guilt. It's not shame. It's love. 
And he wants us to see like, hey, I'm calling you to something better. The way you're going is not the way it's supposed to be. Come to this way because it's better. And it's what I'm giving you. And ultimately, we're turning from our sin, our brokenness, the things like we're choosing to Jesus. That is what he wants for us. We're not trying to avoid hell. We're not trying to avoid punishment. We're not even feeling bad about ourselves because we're worthless. No, Jesus loves us. He values us. He laid his life down for us, and he wants us to operate in the way he designed everything to be. And so it's love. It's him. We turn from this, our own desires, our own way of being, to his way of being. That is repentance. It's turning. It's turning around. It's not going this way anymore. It's going this way. And ultimately, what he says next is we turn towards him. So it's a turning to something. And he calls us to believe the good news. And what I want to define believe as is not simply just this like mental like agreement or, or even wishful thinking. Rather, it's trust. It's trusting in Jesus. It's relying upon him. See, believing is not just like, okay, I kind of hope something happens. Like, that's not what belief is. What Jesus is talking about here, what Mark is pointing us to, is this deeper, richer kind of belief. It's actually building your life on. It's relying upon Jesus. It's trusting in Jesus. It's this deep confidence that Jesus will come through for me. So we're walking this way, and we realize, like, no, I need to turn. I repent, and I turn to his better way. And I'm going to operate that way. I'm going to build my life on it. When everything else is going this way, I'm going to go this way. And it's going to at times feel like, man, I'm going against the current, because you are. And is this really working? Like, no, it's that confidence, that commitment to say Jesus' way is best. That is belief. That is faith. It's trust and relying upon Jesus. That's what he's calling us to. And so when he says, repent and believe the good news, the good news is that Jesus is Savior and King. And we build our lives on that. That's what he's calling us to. It's not merely wishful thinking, kind of like mental assent, like I agree with it. Like, no. I'm actually ordering my life. I'm making decisions on this. Jesus is Savior and King. That is what he's calling us to. A lot of times, we just know the right things, we do the right things, but he's wanting us to build our lives, our very being on this idea that he is Savior and King. We don't operate in fear, shame, or guilt. It's like, oh, I'm just trying to avoid hell because that's very self-centered. What he's calling us to is to deny ourselves, to let go of ourselves and trust him as king. It's when we do that, we begin to actually live the way that he's called us to live. That's the good news. It's like a, a lighthouse. I mean, if you imagine it, like if you've been on a boat, have you been on a boat in the middle of the ocean when it's dark? Like in the middle of the night, have you actually like stepped out and just see, what can you see? Nothing, right? 
Like it is just blackness everywhere. Well, you imagine even like, you know, decades ago, hundreds of years ago, when they didn't have like bright lights on a boat, like they're just lanterns, you don't know where you're headed. That's why a lighthouse is so important. They would build lighthouses at key places when people are traveling the oceans, traveling the waters, to know where we are and how we continue to sail. That's what a lighthouse does. And so a sailor is a captain. They're going to they're gonna find their lighthouse. They're going to lock in. And this, they look at that and they're like, this is how I need to go. And they know the, the course there to chart. As they avoid the rocks, avoid the shoreline that could damage the boat and sink them, like they're going the right way because of the lighthouse. Jesus is our lighthouse. He's the one that's charting the course for us. We lock into his light when there's darkness and blackness all around. We don't know which way to go. We lock into him. He is king and savior. This is the good news. And he is our lighthouse. So here it is. From Jesus' own lips, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. This, this is the gospel. This is the gospel summarized from Jesus himself, and he's going to play this out in this gospel account from Mark. Now, if you're uh, used to church, if you grew up going to church, I'm curious, when you've heard the good news, you've heard the gospel, you've heard the call to repent and believe, what did you hear? Or what were you supposed to do with that? I'm wondering if it was this. Make a decision for Jesus. You're good. That is not what Jesus is calling us to. Repentance and belief, these are not one-time things. Now, if you haven't made that choice before, like if you're here this morning and you're kind of like, okay, this is kind of new to me, or things are starting to click into place, there is a first time where we make that decision. We start to follow Jesus. I want to repent. I'm walking this way. It's like, I want to turn. That happens in a moment. It can. And it can be right now. If you haven't made that choice, I implore you to make that choice right now. Because it is good news. Jesus is the good king. He wants to save us. All the things that are messed up in this world, all the things that are messed up in your life, he wants to save us. He wants to have lordship over us and show us the way where to go. You can choose to begin following him today. But even if you're not ready, I encourage you, keep listening to this series. See what Jesus wants to show you. Maybe you're not ready right now, but I implore you, watch what he's going to do next. See how he leads us forward in all of this. Please stick with it. I I encourage you to keep going because you're going to see some really cool stuff from Jesus. But for those of us who we've made that decision, This is not a one-time decision. It's an ongoing decision. Even the tense in the original language, in the Greek, it has this sense of not just a one-time moment, but this ongoing, continuous action. It is not something that just happens once. It happens repeatedly. Because if we just think, oh, it's a one-time thing, we're actually probably still living here. What he's calling us to is to live down here and to make this a pattern in life. That is what Jesus is calling us to do, is to embody this continual repenting and believing. 
the best place that you're going to see this play out is the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are the ones who knew all the right things and did all the right things, but they were not in the kingdom. They were not operating Jesus' way. Why? It's like maybe they were doing all the, the right stuff on the outside, but they weren't being transformed in here. And that is what Jesus is calling us to, is transformation at the heart level. And so we want to do that as a church. We want to look at the Pharisees as a lens to reflect back to us. How am I being like them right now? It is a continual process of repenting and believing. So church family, we want to build from this. This series is going to help us tee up some discipleship I think God wants us to do. I'm really excited to explore it. I'm really excited to build from it. Again, this is not a one-time thing like, oh, check that box and we're done. No. It's this lifelong pursuit of learning to be like Jesus. So are you in? Are you willing to go all the way? Because there's going to be hard moments. And we're going to see that in the gospel. He's going to challenge us. Like, this is not simple. This is not just, oh, okay, nice little swish. No. This is going to be work. It's going to be hard. Are we in? Do we want to follow and apprentice under Jesus? Because there's good news. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, thank you for this good news. Thank you that you call us into life with you. Not just a one-time thing, not just something that happens in a moment, but it's this continual walking with you. God, we pray. We pray that we would be ever attentive to you. Show us where we continue to grow in our repenting and believing. Show us where we continue to grow in our trust in the good news. God, this is what you proclaim over us. Jesus is Savior and King. Will we align ourselves to him? Will we follow him? And would we do so continually? Thank you for this good news, Lord. It's in the mighty and powerful and saving name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.